0: Hello. My name is Rachel Hirons. I am a writer and a singer sometimes. I'm told that I, I I should use this opportunity to plug certain things like Twitter. I'm on Twitter. My name is Ms Rachel Hirons, which um, you know, implies divorce, but I'm not divorced. Before before that it was The Rachel Hirons, but that seems so arrogant. So yeah, you can follow me on there or not as um a lot of you choose to do. Uh, because I have nothing, nothing too too important to say there, and I will be talking to to comedy bloggery about um you know a multitude of things that no one really has much much interest in. Um, you know this this interview's been a long time coming, and we've had to reschedule due to severe lack of demand. Um, but here we go, and I really really hope that you enjoy it. But well, I hope you will. It's it's uh it's unlikely. But, but off we go.
1: <laughs> so Rachel, how did you get into comedy writing?
0: Um, I think that, just, I mean, even getting into writing was um, a mixture of entirely accidental and just failing at everything else that I tried to do. So first was like a fitness instructor. Used to wanna to be a fitness instructor, but I literally can't, I, I can't be asked moving so, so that fell by the wayside. Then I wanted to be an actress, so I actually went to audition at RADA and Lambda with the same monologue, which involved me improvising, like holding an easel. And I didn't get in. Only like three years later, I discovered the difference between an easel and a weasel. And that explains why I didn't get into those drama schools. Um, and so I then went to, uh, I think I just went to watch a, a comedy play and I remember it being, I can't remember what it was, but I remember it being really underwhelming, really sort of rubbish. And just me being a little bit kind of arrogant. I remember sitting with my mate and just being appalled that the audience were laughing. But the audience were like loving it. Like they were totally loving it. And I was thinking, this isn't funny at all. I could do better than this. Like I could do better than this. So then I, I like wrote a like 15 minute, script which was sort of part of my course as well but I was like oh no I'll write this and um and she liked it and that was sort of the uh, first play that I ever did which sort of got made into an hour so yeah it was just um it was entirely an accident and has continued to be a massive accident on everyone else's behalf <laughs>
1: So it was the first play that you wrote the 15 minutes for Powder Room?
0: Yeah, it was, uh, okay, so it was originally called Women We Together. And it was set in like a sort of office, but it, it, was, it was ill-conceived and poorly executed. But the, the, uh, the director kind of, she saw some sort of potential in there. And so we sort of changed it around a little bit. And then it became When Women We. Uh, and that became like an hour-long thing, which we took to the Camden Fringe and then Edinburgh Fringe. And then it's got turned into Powder Room. We had to change the title. They wouldn't. They wouldn't go for "When Women We, So fine. And it's got so. No, but there's like I've read sort of like uh, ever since it sort of got made into Powder Room. When I read uh, what journalists have written about, you know, oh, this has been made into a film, and they always just completely slate "When Women We as a title. Like, well, they've obviously changed the the pathetic name. And I just think, okay,
1: all right then. <laughs> um. So yeah. So now it's called Powder Room. Just so everyone's happy with it. And as a child, did you do a lot of writing? No. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> would you would you like, there's no elaboration on no, is there? No, um, no no. when I was younger, I think. Um, no, I just used to, I used to sing a lot, and I used to, I used to want to be an actress, I think that was kind of, the best, but everyone kind of wants to be an actress, up until a certain point, and then some people, you know, are like, actually good, good at it. Um, but no, I, I realise that I'm sort of much better, uh, when people can't um, hear or see me, that seems to be uh, a strength that I have. Um, so I've just slotted right in there. So no, it was kind of like a. Reason. I think I've always had an affinity towards um, the kind of written word. I think least, so. Whether it's song lyrics or poetry, or they've they've always kind of been my interest. But I, I went to uni and I did film and drama studies just because it was a general area of interest. I was never one who thought writing writing is what I want to do but then again I was never one for this is what I, I have no idea I sort of just bumbled my way through it and whatever I've fallen into I've just kind of like ran with I was I was the manager of a, a sunbed shop for, for three years uh, very successful at that so um, <laughs> um so, so yeah so I've just I've never kind of had any sort of clear direction still don't I'm just doing things as, as long as people keep paying me to do whatever the job like any job I will do that follow the money at the moment it's rising (laughs) barely but yeah
1: well you still perform with strobe circus so do you feel that although it's followed the money at the moment (laughs) did you always did you always want it to have an element of performance to it
0: um just to clarify i have no money (laughs) first of all um well to be fair again like i wasn't ever like i'm a yeah so i'm the singer of strobe circus which is like a, a reggae band again this this highlights quite perfectly just how i've fallen into things um no matter how ill suited i am um to it and that that was just a, I used to work at festivals i used to do like all the uk festivals with like a a food tent and they used to sort of put music on as well and i wanted to be in a band like this year i decided i want to be in a band so i started like singing uh, as I was serving people food, because I knew that there were musicians about. So I was like, as long as I just keep sort of singing in their faces. I mean, it's pathetic. It's, it's kind of like going go to a comedy, so i just telling jokes in people's faces until someone gives you some sort of attention. Um, so, so, I think, yeah, I think I've always sort of liked... Um, before, I, th- I think... I mean, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like, music was never sort of my thing. I'm, I have no talent in terms of music or, or anything like that. I've just sort of done it for as long as people have um, sort of come to listen. Um, and, and they still do. So I'm carrying that. I mean, all five of them, they, they totally love it. Um, so I keep singing for them. And my mum likes the videos that are put on, up on YouTube, like she sort of watches them. So I just do it to make her happy, really.
1: And as you said, you studied drama and film studies at Kingston University. So did you find that you had a lot of opportunities to put on plays and engage in writing and comedy whilst you were at university?
0: Maybe there was. I didn't do university very well. I think the most people you speak to, they went to university and that's where they, they met their mates and that's when, you know, everything started falling into place for them and that's when they kind of found their path. But while I was at university, I was working full time and managing my summer jobs. and doing a very, very good job. And so I didn't really, first of all, I didn't make any friends at uni. I made one. One friend at uni who I still speak to. Um, and she, she's great. Um, but she's French. I don't think she understands what I'm saying most of the time and that's why we get on really really well and uh, you know most of the people were English and and, and understood exactly what I was saying and so chose (laughs) chose not to hang out but that's fine but not like I was sort of again I was just I was only at uni to get out of Warrington which is where I sort of came from and I just applied to two unis one in Glasgow and one in London and they both accepted, so I just went to one of them. Like with, and and again, like the courses that I chose, I I had to swap courses. I was doing PE in the community for a while, playing rugby, and until I realized, I so like, this is ridiculous. Um, and so so I changed my course and I started doing film and drama. And again, like I said, there was no real kind of calling for me there, um, and that has remained the case, <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, so I, it went like I was really engaged in things, I was just doing what I had to do to pass exams, okay, and that's what, that's what I did. And it just so happened, it was more kind of uh, running alongside university, but nothing to do with university, that I wrote this sort of uh, 50 minute play, and, and I was sort of doing things in my own time, like I took that to the Camden Fringe, nothing to do with uni, I went to um, the Edinburgh Fringe, and it sort of had, it took off on a kind of life of its own. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really give uni the time to, it's a, it was a great uni, um, I'm aware that people might hear this who, who went to that. Uh, this is not uh, sort of going against the uni. It was
1: it was lovely. I was just never there. Do you feel that working in the sunbed shop gave you a lot of inspiration for your writing? Uh, no, it didn't inspire much. I'm
0: right, but it, it was great in terms of like, there's not that much to do in a sunbed shop, okay? I had to push a few buttons to turn sunbeds on and then turn them off again. Uh, ideally within 16 minutes <laughs> uh, before other people started to to die around me um and that was literally what the job consisted of and so it was great because that me it was just me and the computer like all day so I sort of did a lot of well I say a lot right a lot of Facebook um just YouTube a bit of porn bit of writing um, and that was that was why the sunbed shop was good. Again, it was just the, the, the common theme here is I'm, I'm t- trying to do as little as possible in every circumstance that I find myself in. Um, and so, so yeah, so the sunbed shop was very, very good for that. And then it was it was mainly just wiping people's sweat and pubes off sunbeds and spraying people orange. And that was that was my life for three years.
1: So, no, <laughs> it, it inspired nothing. And, uh, well, you took When Women Way up to the Edinburgh Festival, and that's being turned into your first feature film, Powder Room, which is starring BAFTA award-winning Sheridan Smith and Kate Nash. And uh, your 2012 play, A Guide to Second Date Sex. Uh, It recently had a sellout run at Soho Theatre, as well as having amazing reviews at Edinburgh. And this year you're going to be taking up another play, Dirty Laundry. So what can people expect from Dirty Laundry this year?
0: Oh, okay well the I mean yeah the, the other two did well uh, dirty laundry is um it's nothing like those two. and and I think that that was a conscious sort of I mean it's still a comedy I think that you know you kind of err on the side of everything that I write seems to have like sort of comedic elements in it my two jokes are in everything that I write and they're still going strong um but it's it's slightly more I don't know the, the thing about women when we go to second date sex is the humour came from this sort of voyeuristic comedy and I always kind of thought, you know, you could watch those two plays and probably go, Ah, oh, this is the same writer. I can sort of see the common themes here. And um, I wanted to do something that was just sort of totally different and I thought theatre is such a great, Place to be able to experiment and just chuck whatever you want at it and um, really kind of experiment because then you're not dealing with film and you're not dealing with TV in which sort of you know every experimental whim you have costs someone like twenty five thousand pounds. <laughs> um, so so this one's uh, it's kind of like a dark comedy. I was reading a lot of uh, Martin mcdonough plays when I I wrote it and. Uh, so to say it's Martin McDonagh inspired does him a disservice, <laughs> but it was kind of like I. Um, I don't know. I was kind of like, okay, well, what I'm gonna do is, you know, I'm gonna gonna have a bit of mystery in there. I mean, I don't know how successful it is. Like I've seen, I've seen two rehearsals. I've just come from a rehearsal of it now. Um, I mean the set the set's lovely. Like uh, so it's set in a laundrette, and those washers and dryers they look astounding. They really, really do. I think that's gonna outshine the writing of the piece but you know you can't please everybody um and what it lacks in jokes it certainly makes up for in washing machines and dryers that look so real so real um so yeah so again yeah it, it's a comedy it's a it's a three-hander so I, again like all all everything that I sort of do on stage I try and keep the cast as uh, sort of small as possible purely because we have no money to pay them um and, and yeah, but it's sort of the same form. It's it's an hour-long uh, piece, but with, uh, I don't know, I tried to make the age of the characters a little bit older, I think, both with When a Guide to Second Date Sex. It was kind of uh, early 20s, sort of, and I was kind of writing, essentially, like, myself. Do you know, do you know what I mean? I, 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 not, not purposely, And also, really, hopefully, I didn't. But um, with this one, I've kind of gone, you know, no. I want the main protagonist to be sort of much older. Like, let's aim for around sort of 45. And yeah, but yeah. So that's what I've
1: been doing with that one. We'll see. We'll see. And what's been your experience of the Edinburgh Festival so far? The Underbelly. Um, Both, uh, the whole festival in general writing and taking a shower. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I mean both of my plays have been
0: on at the Underbelly. Um so and and this one's going there as well. So that is my experience in in a nutshell. Uh but it, I mean it's great. I mean what what I love about it in fact what well what I do love about it is the fact that there's kind of uh the audience are sort of like totally up for it. Like if they're there they're there to uh sort of see the plays. So of course you've got to like try and get them into your show. Um, but they're kind of well up for it. And I think that that kind of adds a little bit of pressure because you think if this is going to bomb, I'm going to hear it bomb. And, and, and I think that that's the whole point is it's so immediate. You totally get it sort of straight away. Like you can never sort of escape that applause at the end or the laughter the way through. So I just... I don't know, I think it's always been like a real kind of eye-opener for me in terms of whether something works or why it isn't working. And it just, it makes me work a little bit harder because I think that um, particularly writing is such a, or can be a solitary career. And because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm writing comedy, but I'm not doing stand-up. So it's not like I'm writing stuff down and then I'm going out and and I'm saying it and I'm hearing what audiences, it's literally just me sat in my living room thinking I'm hilarious. Um, And sometimes, you know, like, and then when that sort of gets put on stage and and, and a joke that you have been sort of like, oh my God, I'm a legend. (laughs) Uh, And then you you sort of hear it said out loud and you know, the actors don't laugh and the audience doesn't laugh and you think, no, that's not a joke. That's not actually a joke, is it? It's not, not a joke at all. Um, but, but I suppose that that's what I love about it. And and that's kind of what I love about the Fringe is the fact that y- you're already aware, like, you know, th- these people are on my side, like, they've they, they come to a festival, you know what I mean? And and they're ready for a laugh. and And if you don't get it, it just sort of makes you work just a little bit. It, you can sort of gauge why it isn't working. You can gauge which bits did work and that might come as a little bit of a shock to you at first. But yeah, no, usually the first week is just me having a breakdown. Uh, and then the last three weeks, I'm just drunk, and that's it, and then by the end of it, I just don't care anymore. <laughs> I just, I give up on myself and on my life. Um, but yeah, so, so that's kind of why I'm I'm sort of really, really intrigued to take this one, particularly because it's something new and different, because I, I just think that, for myself, you know, I could have done, like, the sort of, the third in the trilogy of when we got to take date, sex, and dirty, but I've tried to do something a little bit different, and and so I just think, for me, I'm kind of getting to the point now where I just think, you know, like I don't have everything sort of hanging on this. I am just really kind of interested to ascertain what people think of it. And if they hate it, they're wrong.
1: (laughs) Would you ever want to write a part for you to perform in it as well?
0: No, never, ever. Um, I'm aware that I think I can act. And I'm also aware that I really, really can't. As in, I've had proof of that. Um, no part with an easel. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, was, I was astounding. This is the thing. Like, with that easel, which, well, you know, I was... It was like, imagine, like, you're holding a hamster and it's running around in your hands, right? I was doing that, like, for ages and ages and ages. And then at the end, I remember, like, one of the, the kind of panels was like... Uh, sorry, so can, because like the whole, the whole speech was about me sort of painting this picture. And they were like, so can I just um, understand what you're holding there? And I was like, yes, it's an easel. And they, they didn't laugh, right? They didn't do it. They went, okay, okay, yeah, fine. And this is what I mean. And I totally forgot about the whole thing. Like I didn't get it. And, you know, I'm not going to get hung up on the failures. I just thought, you know, again, they're wrong. But uh, it was only like a few years later. And I heard a joke. And it started off, there were two weasels in a bar. And as soon as I heard that sentence, I thought I have made a huge mistake. <laughs> I was like, sorry, can we just ascertain what what what's an easel then if that's it and then they explained like, its it's not I stamped and I thought, right okay, 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 understood um but no like i I do um I've had like uh, accidental sort of power parts in, in a lot of the plays that I've done only due to sort of forgetfulness in terms of the crew. Like uh, last time in Against Second Date, Sex was like a phone call and I had to do the voice in that. And it was just, it was just awful. It was just um, like the accent as you, I mean, if they've got this, if you've got this far in this audio take, my voice isn't easy listening. It's not like yours, is it? Um, <laughs> Hi, I'm Sarah. <laughs> And maybe if I, I mean, I could talk like that, uh, but we'd be, we'd be here all day. Um, So yeah, it's it's not, it's not really, it's not a voice that people want to hear, I've found. So no, I would, I would, I'm not gonna sort of ruin things intentionally by putting myself in them. And I I don't have the confidence, it's it's rubbish. It's just, I am awful at acting,
1: but I think I'm astounding, but I'm not. So what advice would you give to people taking up a play to the Edinburgh Festival?
0: Okay, well my advice would be just work hard uh fly in it. Because essentially I mean, you're not you're not gonna go to Edinburgh and come back a millionaire, um, are you? And I just think that it's like like I was saying before, like the, the most valuable thing to me is kind of uh, sort of hearing that sort of feedback for your work. And you're only gonna do that if you have an audience in order to sort of give you feedback. Um and also just getting people in who you think, you know, if you're sort of, I mean, I wouldn't ever take any work up there that I don't think is great. I mean, rightly or wrongly, it might it might be rubbish, but as long as I think it's great, uh, because I just think it's the most fantastic sort of platform to, to get people to obviously know about your work. And so, you know, whenever I take a play up there, I'm, I'm always contacting the theatres who, you know, I, I want to develop a relationship with, get them in, uh, get audiences in, because, because it is a kind of a massive, massive learning curve because you've got thousands and thousands of people all trying to do the same thing. And I just think that your work when you get to Edinburgh, it, rather than it being over, it is the start of me absolutely hammering um, the flyer. That's all I do, nonstop. Flyer, 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 flyer. Do that. And then at least, you know, your play might be rubbish. <laughs> You're going to be knackered. You're going to look like crap, but you, you'll you have got rid of all your flyers. And, you know, I I come back, you know,
1: my my load's a lot lighter. That would be my advice. Well, the first play you took up to Edinburgh is now being made into the feature film. So did you find it a difficult process, translating it from writing onto screen? Well, I
0: I don't know. And the reason that I don't know is because... I had never even thought about writing a film. Well, I mean, I wanted to write a film, but I sort of saw that as, like, something way in the future. Like you said, I'd written one play, right? And I think it came from just a general ignorance. Uh, Like, um, my sort of experience of films was, you know, like, I had films that I liked. Like, you know, I liked Calamity Jane. I liked Tim Bruges. And I don't think that that qualified me to write a film. So it was kind of like, when I was doing it, I weren't thinking, you know, I didn't know anything about, I, I didn't even know how to begin writing a film. So I weren't thinking, oh, okay, I've got to construct my character, things like this. And, you know, and I, I just didn't know even how to. So I just had a book by Sidfield called, like, I don't know, How to Write a Film. And I, I think I got to page like 35. And and the little tips that I was picking up there, I was just throwing them onto. A page and i remember kind of finishing this I, like to me it was finished i was like get to 90 pages <laughs> done finished <laughs> um and i just i remember sort of so, so i did basically yeah i didn't have time to sort of panic about it or or struggle because if you don't know what you're doing you're not struggling are you you're just floundering about sort of doing whatever and then i i sent it off and that was the first time that i got really 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 nervous because i just thought i don't know whether you know, people are going to look at this script and go, what the hell is she doing? Or go, "Mm, okay, well, maybe... But, yeah, no, the producer got it, and he... I just remember him sort of coming back. It was like a one-line email. And it was like, yep, okay, good. A few tweaks and we're there. And that was it. And I just thought, okay, fine. (laughs) But, no, I can't say... I mean, like, it was a struggle in terms of, like, the, you know, the the time it took. Um, But... No, I I, don't. I think now writing another film, I would panic so much more because now I, I am thinking in terms of like, oh, okay, like now I know what I'm doing. Now I know, now I know what I have to worry about. Before I didn't, um, and that can only
1: be a bad thing. Do you have a specific demographic of audience in mind when you write? Drunk,
0: that's it. Um, I always find that my work goes down much better on people who are drunk, no no kind of anyone I mean, I think that the way I have marketed the shows in the past is certainly aimed at kind of sixteen to younger audiences sixteen to thirty um but you know older people i no i i don't I just sort of I just write whatever I think I'm sort of fairly uh unconscious in terms of who i'm writing for when I'm writing, I just I just write whatever, and to be honest, I think that with comedy, if it's funny, it's funny. I've always sort of had that opinion. Um, if it's funny, then you're going to laugh. If you're Minan, you well, certainly, certainly not now. Uh, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I just think no, it should be able to sort of you know span the the kind of age groups and uh, genders and things like that. So no, I don't, I, d- I certainly don't write for any specific group. Um, like I said, I'm sure that if I were to gather audience data, if I was that way inclined, um, then yeah, I think that they're sort of slightly younger. Um, but no, I just, I just,
1: to be honest, I don't write for anyone. I just write for myself. <laughs> and do you ever get writer's block? And if so, how do you get through it?
0: Um, Obviously, yep. Yeah. And the way I get through it is change the idea. Basically, well, in a nutshell, that's usually what it comes down to. Because if, if I'm really, really, really struggling with an idea, or if I've started writing something, and the first two pages, and I blast through them, and then it, it just sort of comes into nothing. I'm very much kind of the way that I write is kind of, I spend two months sort of writing, thinking about something and just sort of letting it go around in my head. And I, you know, it's not like a sort of serious thing. I'm not sort of putting any pressure on myself. I just let these ideas just sort of float around in my head. And then as soon as it gets to a point where my thoughts turn into dialogue and I start going, oh, then she should say this. And then he would respond with this. And oh my God, pure hilarity uh, that's when I think okay just start writing this stuff down because now you're thinking of things that you could forget um, so so then I start writing it down and some ideas you know will just sort of begin writing themselves essentially and that's kind of when I know I'm onto a winner but sometimes if I've, if I've written like a, a page or two pages and then it just totally stops usually it never starts up again and the best piece of advice I was kind of ever given on that is you know if you do get writer's block go to your main character because there's your problem like change something there because if that's your driving force and it isn't driving uh you've got you've got a problem with that one so it just usually ends up in me going oh, okay let me just change the whole thing because I'm far too impatient to be fair I'm too impatient to to really suffer writer's block i just stop writing and then start again on something different until I just blast my way through it. Like, uh, I'm not saying it's ideal, it doesn't work for everyone, but uh, the plays that I've written, I usually sort of actually spend about sort of a week actually writing them. And uh, my brain is just too schizophrenic, as you can tell. <laughs> um, to, to really sort of spend ages like heart laboring over something. And so I've just kind of always worked like that. If it's not working, stop it and start something else. Or otherwise I'll just write straight through to the end.
1: And the music for Powder Room was curated especially for the film by Fate Club. And also you perform with Strobe Circus. So do you always want music to play an important part in what you're writing?
0: Well, oddly, uh, sort of fake Club doing Powder Room was the director, MJ Delaney's um, choice, and she made them a really, really prominent... um, To to the sort of credit of the film, uh, made them a really sort of prominent thing within it. Um, But, yeah, no, I think... I think music is kind of important. You know, it fills the gaps. (laughs) Um, I can't think of anything that I've ever done that doesn't have music in it. Uh, I don't think that, you know, it's something that I'm sort of madly, madly keen on. Um, Sort of like jamming in, even if it's sort of like unnecessary. But I I, I think, yeah, I think everything's made a little bit better by, by music. Otherwise it's just awkward, isn't it? Or like if no one's laughing, that's the best way to cover it, is just start playing some music. Just always have some noise underneath. And then you're totally fa- there's never an awkward silence, just keep making noise. Yeah.
1: Would you ever try stand up comedy? No,
0: no, um, due to a lack of demand, interest, and the ability to be funny in terms of just speak. Like, I'm not a funny person. Like, I can, I can write a joke in a script. But, you know, that that's taken a long time. And it's usually someone else's joke. You know, I'll, I'll like, hear... Someone will say something funny and that'll sort of... That'll go in. I would be awful. Truly awful. Like, I've not, I've not made a joke throughout this whole thing. I've been talking for so long. It's amazing how little jokes <laughs> I actually make in real life. It's astounding. Um, so, no, never. If I had a joke, God, I would tell it. Um, but I don't, and I... No, I'd, I'd be terrible. To be fair, it's always been, like, my worst fear. I've always said that. I've always said, you know, I could sort of sing in front of anyone. Because even if it's bad, it's just doesn't it just matter. Like, you know, I, I don't sing all the time. Like, that's not what I do. Uh, but... And, and I could, you know, no one wants me to act. But I do act in front of people sometimes. And, again, that's fine. Because I think there's a sort of level of pretense to it. And I'm sure, you know, speaking to comedians, that, you know, there's a level of pretense to... You know, their whole act. Like, it, it is a show. But, no, to me, like, I couldn't sort of do the whole, you know, like you say your joke. Because th- that's how I get out of it, you know. Because comedians have to sort of say a joke. And then either people are laughing at them or they're not. And it's them stood on the stage. With me, I get minions. <laughs> or they like to call themselves actors. <laughs> because then if the joke doesn't work, no one's going to... No one knows why. I am. Do you know what I mean? I just... And then I get to say to them at the end, it's them who has to sort of stand on the stage, suffer that silence. And then when they come off, then I go to them, that was awful delivery, by the way. So I just totally evade all of that nonsense. Um, I'm
1: fine. <laughs> I would never do it, ever. I couldn't, ever. Do you have any tips or advice for aspiring writers? Yeah, I mean,
0: okay. Well, the only tip that I really have is the only thing that sort of worked for me and that was... Um, First of all, actually write something and finish something because the amount of people who I do speak to who, you know, they're like, oh my God, I'm writing a thing as well. Like, as soon as you say like, oh yeah, no, I'm writing there. And they go, oh my God, I'm writing. Everyone's writing. Um, and about like 1% of the people who I sort of speak to have got no, and I have this thing and it's finished. Everyone else is just sort of like vague ideas for about, you know, 25 years. And that's fine. But it's kind of like, if you, if you want to do it, then do it. Finish it. And if you you know, if you want your work on, send it off to places that, you know, have the capacity to be able to put it on. Or, if absolutely no one wants to put your work on, put it on yourself. Um, Just sort of like, I, I mean, that first year, that when we were in Edinburgh in 2011, I had absolutely, I still have no money. And even then, I, I had no money. um. And I I put it on sort of myself, along with the director. Like, I was doing car boots. I sold my shoes, all of them. And that was a mistake. Um, like, we sold our clothes. I sold every trinket that I had. Um, I So I literally went to Edinburgh with a set and absolutely no possessions. Or house. I, I, I had to move out my house because I couldn't... <laughs> couldn't afford rent um but it was fine you know I had uh, some accommodating friends and um but yeah so that's what I did I just sort of put it on myself and and it it was from that kind of harking back to what I was saying earlier about you know get get people in who were who were gonna come and see your work and can potentially put it on and you just have to sort of hope for the best and and just throw everything at it literally everything and that's It sounds like a very serious thing that I just said. But but I'm being serious. Like, if there's something you want to do, you really, really do. have to just go, I don't care what the cost. Like, I have to do it.
1: And that would be my advice. Actually do it and just put it on. That's what I would say. And you studied drama and film studies Mm -hmm. at Kingston University. So do you have any tips or advice for students?
0: No, because I didn't... I don't remember... Like I said, I weren't really... I didn't really do the uni thing. Okay, so my advice to students would be do the uni thing. Like everyone that I know has friends from uni uh, or just friends. uh, And they all seem sort of linked to the uni life. Um, And and I think that there is the perfect time. I mean, you know, you're obviously around like-minded people. I mean, I I assume I didn't do any of this. I really don't have the time. I didn't have the time of day for, for anyone at uni. And, you know, what everyone else found fun. I just found Irksome. Sorry, I, I didn't sort of mingle with anyone. But you know, if you are that way inclined, then you know, make some, make some mates, <laughs> get some mates. That's my advice to you, students <laughs> Get some mates, and uh yeah, and and, and again, just sort of do your own thing. Like I just sort of did my own thing at uni. I didn't really take the whole thing very seriously. I think that you know, that that's a mistake to take it too seriously. Obviously, if you you know. If, like it's, if it's essential to your career, then totally ignore that. Concentrate <laughs> on your work. I want to write a book about advice to students. I thought I had none. It's, it's, it's all sort of dependent upon a multitude of variables, what advice I would give you. So I will condense this into a PDF. And yeah, there'll be a link, a link below. Um, Rachel's advice to students. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy that. There you go.